Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry, and I am so excited to tell you about an awesome and spooky new show on Netflix that will be in my top 10 for 2023. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. The Seinfeld reunion reboot rumor mill kicked into high gear this week, courtesy of Jerry Seinfeld. We'll talk about that. Plus, we have completed the three-episode event, and we'll tell you if it's worth checking in, too. The Continental. But we begin with this weekend, which is going to be a huge one at the box office as Swifties Unite. Welcome to the Eras Tour. He looks We're about to go on a little adventure together, and that adventure is going to span 17 years of music. How does that sound? Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, the movie. There are a lot of people who try to get tickets in Canada for those handful of shows that she's doing next year in Toronto. For most of those people who tried, this will be the next best thing, and by all accounts, it will be worth it. The early mark on Rotten Tomatoes is 100%, but it is Thursday afternoon as we record this, and only a handful of reviews are in. Just uh, checking it now. As of this moment, eight reviews at 100%, but uh, the long and the short of it is this movie is not a hacked-together cash grab. It's almost three hours, by the way. But it is instead, by all accounts, a lovingly crafted victory lap for the pop superstar. At last check, the movie has pre-sold over $100 million in tickets. And that's as of last week. And $6.2 million of that is in Canada, making it the most successful event pre-sale for Cineplex, which is exclusively carrying this movie. Box office predictions say it could make 150 to 200 million dollars this weekend and who knows how much it will make during its run which is said to be 13 weeks minimum so i gotta be honest like i like taylor swift just fine her music's fine she seems nice and all that she's had a wonderful career but the, the the phenomenon has really exploded in the last few years and I gotta say, uh, and I may, this probably is just gonna make me sound old, but I don't really get it. You don't get it. No, I get it. It's just not my thing. That's I, I couldn't, I couldn't sing a Taylor Swift song to save my life. I don't know any of them. I've, I must have heard some, yeah. but I just didn't know they were Taylor <laughs> you Swift. Don't know Taylor Swift. I don't know music? any Taylor Swift songs. No, <laughs> um, I'm excited for the, her fans though, because it's a, it's a pretty fun thing uh, when you're whoever you're a fan of puts out a a concert film that you can go see in the theater. Springsteen had one like four years ago. I got excited for that. That was awesome time. So uh, I'm I'm also. Kind of thinking about going to see this just to see what the fuss is about. Really? Well, yeah, because like you said, like she's, you can't, you know, spin around without somebody going nuts about Taylor Swift these days. So it's like, well, let's see what it's all about and be, I'll be the one who gets all, oh, I didn't see that coming because I don't know any of her songs or (laughs) anything about her. I I know what she looks like. I could pick her out of a lineup easy enough. Uh, But yeah, no, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty exciting for the Swifties. Like you said, it's, uh, it's going to be a force. Yeah. We have a couple of uh, big Swifty fans in our office and they are super pumped. They bought tickets like within an hour 
of the announcement that was a couple of months ago that the tickets were announced and they're already buying them up because they are going this is going to be a big 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 movie so have fun swifties new on netflix this week this is a show that debuted on thursday october 12th from the creators of 2018's the haunting of hill house 2020's The Haunting of Bly Manor, and 2021's Midnight Mass, it is The Fall of the House of Usher. Your Honor, no matter how much evidence stacked against them, the Usher crime family stands stronger and darker than ever before. Anyone comes after us, we will exhaust our arsenal until the threat's neutralized. By neutralized, you mean sued into oblivion on the streets? Neutralized. Like dead. You guys, we really should get together more often. It's just a balm for the soul. Okay, first off, this has nothing to do with Usher the singer. The House of Usher, the story from Edgar Allan Poe. Family is a collection of stunted hearts. Whose time has come? Who are you? Consequence. And tonight is consequential. I'm gonna head out. I've got an appointment with your dad. Your brother's dead. This is tragic, but a few my heart will go on tweets will pat it out. This was no accident. You have been targeted. And this woman knows everything. It's time, Roger. What did you do? I'm afraid you're ringside for my reckoning, old friend. This eight-episode limited series focuses on siblings Roderick and Madeline Usher, who have turned their company, Fortunato Pharmaceuticals, into a mega empire of wealth, privilege, and power. But the heirs to the Usher dynasty start to die, and the mystery behind it all is slowly unveiled, and it is excellent! Are we safe? If we don't stop her... Have a family left. Frankly, I think you've forgotten what I am. Never more. Never more. Never more. Never more. One of the best shows I've seen in 2023. Super thankful for the preview access the Couch Potatoes have for Netflix because I'm glad I got to see this. Before it came out, so I can tell you that you should watch it. In comparison to The Haunting on Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor, I really enjoyed Hill House, and I found that one quite scary, although I told a friend about it who likes scary stuff, and she made fun of me after saying that wasn't scary at all. And then with The Haunting of Bly Manor, I they, they marketed that like it was scary. They framed the episodes like scares were coming, and I found that that show wasn't all that scary at all. So it disappointed me. I kind of wonder if I should go back and rewatch it, knowing now that it's not scary and just worry, focus on the story, which was a pretty good story, and both of those shows got excellent reviews. But uh, this one is at... Did I have that one open here? Of course. I. Why wouldn't I? Or why would I have it open and ready to go? Like I'm prepared to tell you what it has on Rotten Tomatoes. Of course, I would not do that. 92% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. And the way that this show works is the, the House of Usher is the overarching story. 
but they've managed to weave in a whole bunch of Edgar Allan Poe shows. Like each episode is named, like there's the the Telltale Heart and the the Pit in the Pendulum and the Black Cat and the Gold Bug and of course the Raven, which was really cool. And the way that they were able to incorporate elements of those stories, and I'm by no means an expert on Edgar Allan Poe stories. But so I have no idea if these were remotely faithful at all. I don't think it's meant to be that. It's just meant to be the inspiration. But the way that they are able to do a whole bunch of Poe stories under this primary umbrella in a way that makes total sense is a marvelous achievement. I would also say that this show generally isn't scary spooky at times you know sometimes there are some creepy things going on in the background and there are there are a couple of jump scares uh, uh, the the deaths though the deaths are horrific creative and beautiful and awful this movie is kind of like succession meets american horror story meets saw in that way some of the deaths are brutal but it's not more not on a in a glorified way like Saw, I would suggest. The dialogue is excellent and hilarious at times. The cast is fantastic. Let me just pull up a cast list here for that because um, it's just terrific. Bruce, you've heard uh, Bruce Greenwood plays Roderick Usher. Mary McDonnell plays Madeline Usher. Uh, you heard the voice of Carl Lumbly, who plays August Dupin. He's a lawyer guy who's trying to take down the Usher family. You heard the grisly voice of Mark Hamill, who plays Arthur Pym, a.k.a. the Pym Reaper. He plays their lawyer slash enforcer. And Carla Gugino, she plays the mystery woman, and she is a miracle in this show, the standout performance in a show full of standout performances. The cast is full of familiar faces from the various shows that uh, Mike Flanagan has done uh, because a lot of these folks were in the Haunting on Hill House or the Haunting on Bly Manor or Midnight Mass, and uh, they're all excellent. Like, there isn't a, a single performance in this that I would say is weak, and it's just the mystery as well. The mysteries, in fact. Lots of layers being peeled away, and even when we got to the eighth episode, I had multiple questions written down, like, when are we going to find this out, or how does this work, or what's behind that wall? And one by one, all of the mysteries are answered. And the show also has some scathing commentary on multiple things like power and greed, big corporate monsters, big pharma, branding, and just being a wealthy dirtbag. Like, all of the people in this show are scumbags. Well, not quite all of them, because there is a satisfying and somehow hopeful conclusion that out of all of the awful things that happen because of this family, there is some good that will come. So I just, I loved this show so much that when it ended, I sat, like I went to bed, and the next day I got up and I started watching it again. So I've made it halfway through the rewatch. And I'm glad I did, because there were some little details that make more sense when you go back and rewatch it. Plus when, I don't know about you, but when I binge stuff, uh, I tend to forget things. Like by the time I get to the final episode, like who's this person again and what happened? I raced through this all. I didn't give myself time to digest eight hours of television because each of the episodes are, are an hour long. So this is a bit more of a binge 
but it is well worth it. The Fall of the House of Usher, now available on Netflix. It's awesome. I'll give it a rating of four and a half couch cushions out of five. Up next, we'll tell you if you should be checking out The Continental. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and the very brief season of The Continental on Prime Video wrapped up last week. I'm going to kill Cormac, and I need all of you. This isn't the kind of thing that we just walk away from. We kill Cormac, taking his damn house and everything that comes with it. A takeover of the whole hotel. This is my house. Kill all these suckers! What I'm asking you to do is not easy. I'm offering you a chance to decide who you want to be. The Continental was a three-episode miniseries on Prime Video and a prequel to the John Wick movies. If you remember the hotel in those movies, it's, it's called The Continental. And this was about how the guy in charge of The Continental, Winston, came to be the guy in charge of The Continental. He's played by Ian McShane in those movies. Here, it's set in the 70s, so it's 30, 40, 50 years earlier. And overall, it ended up being more interesting than I was expecting. Still doesn't rank at all with the movies, but not a bad story. And again, though, while it does give us Winston's history and how he came to be the uh, owner of the Continental Hotel, it still didn't explain how the Continental or the High Table began or anything like that. All that stuff was already established at the beginning of this story, too. And so, and there's also room to do it again if they want to make another season. I'm sure something interesting must have happened between the end of this season and the beginning of John Wick 1. I thought the action was pretty good. It felt like a TV knockoff of the style of the movies, but in an acceptable way. There were some fun inventive kills and a lot of cool cameras removed so good stuff on that front the soundtrack i thought was a lot uh during the second episode uh i just thought they were way off base with every needle drop but then in the third episode they played the who's baba o'reilly and you just can't go wrong putting that song in somewhere so that worked for me and the 70s of it all in general i thought was just terrific they nailed the costumes all the period stuff and most importantly though they had an interesting story there's some cool characters as well they did a good job tying it all together although for 95 percent of the series i thought that the subplot with the Lady Cop was just pointless, but then it kind of snaps into focus near the end. I will plead ignorance on any connections to the movies beyond the characters of Winston and Sharon. I, I realize that the army of homeless people, for example, somehow connects to Lawrence Fishburne, but if one of this is some other guys, one of those guys was supposed to be him or someone else was supposed to be like a young Willem Dafoe or a young John Leguizamo or a young Clark Peters, that flew all over my head. Uh, I didn't care enough to delve into it to that degree. I assume there must have been a few Easter eggs for the people who were really paying attention, but uh, that wasn't me. Didn't matter. Still enjoyed it. In the end, it wasn't really a necessary series. I don't think it'll make my year-end best-of list, but I thought it was pretty entertaining, and uh, like I said, better than I was expecting, so uh, I got no problems really with The Continental. Yeah, it was fun. It was fine. The finale was cool. It had some terrific action and fight scenes. They took us to some neat places in the hotel that we hadn't seen before, and they managed to introduce even more of their insane underground assassin network rules. The show looked great. Yeah. I thought they nailed the look, the feel, the sound of the 70s. It didn't like the music, hey? There was something in the... I can't remember what the songs were, but I was just like... Some of it was just too obvious or something. I was like, ugh, that's the... Not the song I would have chosen for this. Yeah, that's fair. Some of the songs just did feel like we're going as seventies as we can. Yeah, but it, but overall, the look and all that stuff really helped make the show its own thing and try to separate itself from the movie. The world of John Wick is cool, and we saw that right from the first movie, where it didn't take long to realize 
There's a lot going, a lot more going on here. And I'm intrigued because it gave us just like a peek behind the curtain in the first movie. And then with each of the three sequels, we learned a lot more about this crazy world of assassins. But ultimately for me, the best part about the world of John Wick is John Wick. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yes, the weird story they've created around him is a lot of fun, but we watch the movies to watch Keanu Reeves do John Wick things. The rest is just window dressing. So that's what this show felt like to me. Three episodes of window dressing, but good window dressing. Like it was still fun. And I imagine, I think I would have liked this more as a binge, like each episode's around an hour and a half. So that's a long binge for one night, but I still don't know if I prefer the week to week format for TV or the binge, but this one for me didn't work as a week to week because I didn't find myself excited for episode two. I straight out forgot about episode three for several days. And because there are so many characters, even by the time I got to episode three, <laughs> I forgot who half the people were. Yeah, that's me watching everything. So yeah. I was just like, oh, wait, who? Huh? What? Yeah. Overall, good, not great. I think it's worth a look if you're curious, but uh, you're not. If you miss it, the world will continue to march on. Up next, what is the deal with these rumors? <laughs> You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And there have been a lot of reunions and reboots and general regurgitating of old TV shows over the last few years. And this week, we hit real red alert territory with the slightest of clues at some sort of possible motion on something happening with Seinfeld. Nothing for you. Have you ever seen Elaine dance? What is that? It's the puffy shirt. The man's ear. He's just a dentist. Yeah, and you're an anti-dentist. That is one magic loogie. Well, sometimes you can't help these people till they hit rock bottom. His wife's in a coma. By then, you've lost interest. I was in the pool! I'm out. Well, the jerk store called. They're running out of you. Seinfeld's my favorite show of all time, and I know I'm not the only one. It went off the air in May of 1998, and it was the number one show at the time. That almost never happens, where literally the most popular show on TV goes off the air voluntarily. They tried throwing money at Jerry Seinfeld to come back for another season, but no dice. Instead, we got the series finale, in which the gang went on trial for nine seasons worth of transgressions, basically punishing them for being jerks and us by association for laughing along with them. And how do you find, with respect to the charge of criminal indifference we find the defendants guilty they were sentenced to a year in jail and the final shot is the four of them in prison having this conversation which is also the same conversation that george and jerry had in the very first scene of the pilot episode in 1989 see now to me that button is in the worst possible spot really oh yeah the second button is the key button it literally makes or breaks the shirt look at it it's too high it's in no man's land. Haven't we had this conversation before? You think? I think we have. Yeah. That convo and the finale in general were fitting in a storytelling sense, but also kind of unsatisfying. The trial conceit basically just gave them a big clip show to air, and on finale night, there was already an hour-long clip show preceding it, although all the best clips were saved for the finale. And people were not impressed. I didn't mind it. It helped to have, you know, Hall of Fame, that guy, James Rebhorn, as the prosecuting attorney. There was also one line that I latched onto and that I think would have created a lot of stir online if online existed at that point to the extent it does now it comes after their sentencing but before that final conversation we'll be out in a year and then we'll be back 
And then we'll be back. I was convinced at the time it meant they were just going to take one year off and then they would actually be back for season 10. But 1998 gave way to 99, to Y2K, to 2001, and no sign of Seinfeld returning until this week. At a stand-up comedy performance in Boston, Jerry Seinfeld took some audience questions and was asked whether he liked the finale, and he said this. I have a little secret for you about the ending, but I can't really tell it. It is a secret. Here's what I'll tell you, okay? But you can't tell anybody. Something is going to happen that has to do with that ending. It hasn't happened yet. So something is going to happen. That's all he said, and there's been no word on what that could be. Could be almost nothing. Uh, They did shoot two endings, so the several dozen cast members, crew, and studio audience couldn't spoil anything. So maybe they're just going to re-release it with the new ending? Who knows? Maybe there are other deleted scenes or some other editing thing they're cooking up. Maybe there's a whole hour of prison stand-up which played over the final credits to lighten the mood. Maybe they're shooting something new. Maybe it'll be a special. Maybe it'll be a commercial for something. Who knows? But I'm curious, excited, and more than a little fearful that they'll somehow tarnish the show's reputation. Jerry ain't saying anything just yet, but we'll stay tuned and find out. What what are you in for, sir? Murder one. Murder one. Ooh, watch out, everybody. Better be nice to you. I'm only kidding, sir. Lighten up. How about you? What are you in for? Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto. Don't steal any of my jokes. You suck. I'm going to cut you. Hey, I don't come down to where you work and knock the license plate out of your hand. All right, Seinfeld, that's it. Let's go. Come on. All right. Hey, you've been great. See you in the cafeteria. Is that the voice of Larry David saying, you suck, I'm going to cut you? Yep, all through Seinfeld. He, if there's anybody that needs to yell in from off screen, they'd always, almost always get Larry David to do it. Is anyone here a marine biologist? Yeah, oh, like yeah. And he was, he was the voice of Big Stein. Big Stein. Big Stein's got eggplant on the brain. <laughs> Where is Costanza? I need a eggplant calzone. Yeah, the... <laughs> well, hey, Seinfeld no is idea. clearly a smart guy. Yeah. So he knows what he's doing. He knows the kind of stir this would have created or this would create. Yep. Um and I just the idea of doing something new scares me. Exactly. And it's they don't need it. You know what I mean? Like these people aren't hurting for money. No. Like some of these other reboots, it's like, well, that's just a cash grab. Like, you know, Kelsey Grammer needs to buy a new car or something like that. So he's trying to do more Frasier. So with, so with Seinfeld, the, the last thing that guy needs is another new car. Um, uh, uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus has been on fire ever since Seinfeld went off the air. And, and the other guys, I assume they must have saved their money. Obviously, Michael Richards ran into a lot of trouble like 15 years ago, but that's probably... Sort of slid by by now. I don't think there'd be a huge uproar if he came back on TV, but who knows? I have no idea what they're cooking up. It's uh, hopefully I, as soon as I th- got the idea that oh, it's probably a, maybe it's a commercial for something. I hope that's not it. Oh boy! But, <laughs> so it that would be. almost that would that could that would almost be fitting though. Yeah, that the big exciting reunion is a thirty-second commercial. Yeah, yeah. Just watch. Well, maybe it'll just be a Super Bowl commercial or something stupid like that. I thought the way that they handled the reunion On, in Curb Your yeah. Enthusiasm was genius because they did it without doing it for real. Yeah, and it was a lot more fun the way they did it. And it was a good reunion. Like it, the the episode, it was the writing like an idea they would have come up with. Yeah, yeah. Like it fit the time, and it was, but it was still the same four idiots 
sitting around mocking each other and making the world a worse place. And uh, and we loved. I loved it. It was so good. That whole season was brilliant. And then they just added the made-up element of uh, Jason Alexander being just an antagonist to Larry David in their quote-unquote real lives or whatever, that that was the best part where, like, he borrows a pen and then starts chewing on it, and then Larry <laughs> David's like, you can't, who chews on a pen that you borrow from somebody, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is classic. Yeah, and then there's reboot culture, like, I'm looking at the Rotten Tomatoes here for the, the reboot of Friends, or Friends, Frasier. Which is that today, or is that sorry? It's, was that this week, the, the October twelfth, Thursday, October twelfth? Correct. Okay, so that's Paramount Plus, and that's at sixty percent on Rotten Tomatoes with the critics, but the audience score is interesting, one hundred percent for the audience score. Nobody's seen it yet. <laughs> that's, maybe that's it. And just some overzealous fans. Are you going to try out Paramount uh, Plus? I, I th- actually, this first episode is going to be on CBS on in a couple of days. Oh, so because they needed some programming, so I'm kind of hoping that the whole season will end up on CBS. But uh, last I heard was it was just the first episode, so we'll see. I'll watch. I'll do that first. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, I'm in no rush to see these Frasier episodes. And I got to tell just you, I'm just, I'm just in terms of television overall, I'm so far, I can't figure out how it happened, but I'm so far behind on all these shows because Lupin Part 3 came out. I mentioned that, I think, last week. Yep. That came out on October 5th. I watched one episode, um, maybe because I ended up watching the the fall of the House of Usher and am re-watching it. But uh, so I've got... Four episodes or five episodes of Lupin to watch. Uh, I think I'm already behind on Quantum Leap because that came back on October 4th. I did watch that week's episode, but I haven't watched this week's. I'm like three weeks behind on Survivor. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. You haven't been watching? No. no. I watched the first episode, so what is, yeah, yeah. maybe it's two weeks, two episodes two behind. Episodes. yep. Uh, Gen V, oh, that spinoff on Prime about the superhero show The Boys. Right. I've started watching the first episode. I don't know that I made it. And so I think think by now that means there will be four, possibly five episodes. So I don't know how this happened uh, because I've been trying to stay on top of the shows and, and watch some movies. I did watch, and maybe I can offer some quick thoughts on that in a moment. I did watch a movie that I know you love this franchise, but it uh, <laughs> it's getting a little on the... Even for this franchise, it feels like it's it's just gone completely mad. So we'll get into that. And Jeff's got a couple of things on Loki and the aforementioned Survivor. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. And this movie, I got a notification on Saturday that this movie had arrived on Prime. Don't even know the day it showed up. Don't care, because I thought, I know what I'm doing tonight. Punch it! Audiences agree that Fast 10 is Cheers. too fast. And now it's the number one movie in the world. Yeah! Mr. Fast. That was awesome! Fast. Well, they said Fast 10 in that yeah. clip. Yeah. We're you calling mean, it Fast X the whole time. We've never really known what to call it. And when this was in theaters, you missed it in theaters. It was in theaters for three weeks, period. And then it was gone because we had big blockbuster summer. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was. It was only in theaters for three weeks. Three weeks. Isn't that get ins- out of isn't here? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think a lot of people will be watching it for free on Prime now because uh, they just missed it in the theaters. If lot, not everybody, you know, has the schedule to go on opening weekend. So, uh, hold on. I like to take notes sometimes. And uh, 
just, just <laughs> a bunch one, of question marks. The, <laughs> no, the one thing that made it to the the page here is how did J Mo, so Jason Momoa, get from Brazil to Portugal so fast? Because there's one scene where he's in Brazil, yeah, and then in the next scene, he's in Portugal. Oh, really? Like that's a transatlantic journey, is it not? Yo, Does he have a teleportation is. machine? These guys do it. Hey, guys. They went up to space and back, and then at the backyard barbecue at the end of nine, and guys like, I'm hungry. Haven't eaten since space. I was like, well, you landed this morning? Like, what do you mean you didn't eat since space? So it's just ridiculous. <laughs> and I know that, to be fair, John Wick, in the John Wick movies, we, he'll be in one country, and then the next scene he's in another yeah. country. But we're to assume that time has passed, and I guess time has passed in this as well. But the point is, that's all I could think of, of writing down, <laughs> because it was Jason Momoa. Was awesome. Yeah. That might be the performance of his career. No one's having more fun in any movie this year than Jason Momoa in Fast 10. Yeah. He was sensational, even though the movie was totally retconned. The saga was totally retconned to include him in it as the son of the the bad guy from Fast 5. Yeah. We didn't know when we were watching Fast 5 that just off camera, just to the left of everybody, Momoa was just standing there, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, overall, I... I had fun. I didn't like how John Cena's character... I like that he's on the good side now, but he was so menacing in 9. He was, And he was kind of a dope in this one. He was super serious as the bad guy last time. Yeah, and you're right. And then that's what they do, right? Because um, uh, the bald guy, Jason... Jason Statham. It was the bad guy in 7, and then he helps him in 8. He was also serious in 7 and had a sense of humor in 8, and now they've just done the same thing with John Cena from 9 to 10. Like, yeah, he was dead serious in the, as the bad guy last time, and now he's just like the fun, silly uncle in this one. Yeah, that's it was, true. It's weird. It's better, though. I much prefer the fun John Cena, so I like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Although, like, character-wise, it makes no sense. doesn't track at all to the last movie. Well, you, you very much enjoyed uh, Peacemaker as yeah, well. Yeah, that's true. So, and yeah, I, I like uh, fun John Cena. Jason Statham, by the way, is going to be starring in a movie, I think, in January called The Beekeeper where someone he cares about is taken down by scammers and uh, she has health problems and then dies. So he's a beekeeper who goes on the hunt, says, I protect the hive, uh, something like that. It looks amazing. He lo he's, he's good at those like mid-level action movies. He knows yep. his spot. Okay, uh, you got a couple of things on. Oh, let's talk about Loki. Season two of the uh, MCU show started this past week on Disney Plus, and um, I enjoyed the first episode. You texted me and you said it was, or you told me it was fun, but I don't know what's going on. And yeah. then I watched it and I was like, "This is fun," and I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> this is easily the one where we should have rewatched season one before launching into season two, at least the finale yep. of season one, because uh, and then a character shows up at the end, like uh, the mid credit thing stinger kind of thing. I was like, am I supposed to know who this lady is? And I guess they had mentioned her already. It's uh, Sylvie or Sylvia or whomever that I, is. But I've I still can't remember who she is in the context of the show. So I don't know. Was yeah. she the female Loki? I guess so. I think so. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> some of it was coming back to me while I was watching it. Some of it wasn't. Uh, some of it they explained. Some of it they really didn't. So it was, yeah, just a bunch of weird nonsense. But it was actually pretty fun to watch. Yeah. The, the visuals were tremendous. They did not skimp on this one or they did not uh, push this one. Like they, like the Marvel, we've talked about this before. They're awful to their visual effects people. And uh, apparently it did quite well. Disney Plus saying that it uh, the show amassed... 10.9 million views globally wow. after three days. So that would make it its second highest season premiere of 2023, right behind The Mandalorian, which in March um, had more. The premiere of the recently wrapped Star... That's how the article is written. Which in March racked up, well, more than 10.9 million <laughs> views because Disney Plus has not denoted the title holder's tally. But they also did recently say that uh, Ahsoka delivered 14 million global views in its first five days for its debut episode. So, yeah, uh, Loki, it's a cool show. I just, I, I, you're right. I think I need to go back and watch the first season again and then get into season two. Yeah, I, I'm not going to watch it again. I will maybe go read a recap or just the plot summary in Wikipedia or something like that and then Google the character name so I can see what they look like so I'll recognize them again. But yeah, that was Loki. It was fun. I'm looking forward to the rest of it. Okay, we got a few seconds left here, Jeff. I know you had uh, some quick thoughts. We've only got like a minute left. But uh, I, I'm not caught up in Survivor. But okay, so I won't spoil it for you. You remember in episode one the character that everybody hated, this lady Emily. Yep. I will say say that uh, she's not as bad as we thought. Okay. So there's something to look forward to. You don't have to dread her popping up on your screen every time she shows up. And uh, they're doing new stuff. I won't get into real details. They're doing, like every year, they throw a bunch of new things at the contestants, trying to see if they can come up with a cool new twist or turn that will stick. That'll be interesting. And they're doing some new stuff with the Hidden Immunity Idols this year that uh, is... It, doesn't it's not just blanket power these people really got to earn their advantages more than they used to have to and it gives them more choices and it's like oh we could do this or we could do this or we could do this and so it just uh adds another whole kind of layer to everything that i've actually really been enjoying and that it's also not been the same at every camp it's different in different spots so people really don't know what to expect anymore oh, i think which is yeah that's the game right they're always trying to kind of stay one step ahead of the players because some player will figure out some way around something that they're trying to throw at them so it's a cool new swifty uh, swift uh, turns and twists this time i like swifty swifty there we go it all comes back back full circle <laughs> 90 minute super size episodes wednesdays on global if you want to watch survivor that's all the time we've got i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother <laughs>